What up? Welcome back to our sick podcast uh, that we like to call Super Black sick. in White Church. Uh, I am one of the co-hosts, Ryan Bruchette, and we're so glad you're here today. Uh, Colton, how are you doing today, man? Good. I was just thinking if it was just me on this podcast, it'd be called White and White Church, and no one would listen. <laughs> so, I, 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 so I'm glad I actually am thinking about this right now. I'm trying to think of like that one Google review on like Google Podcasts, which also no one uses. Yeah. That would just be like, wow, insightful. And that's it. And it's probably from like Tim S. Yeah. Italian and White Church. Ooh, that'd be a good that'd one. be a good one because Not really. a lot well hold on growing up this is an issue. i wonder if you could answer this people would always be like i'm italian i'm not white what where does that come from colton we're gonna <laughs> we got a whole episode dedicated to this <laughs> and i don't know if it's this one but basically it comes from the fact that no one liked us when we first came <laughs> over <laughs> when we immigrated here especially in the 50s and 60s no one really liked the italians um, but because of the Godfather, uh, we got accepted and other things. Um, but we were Dagos and Wops before that. Ugh, I don't uh, even want to say those words. Those feel bad. Um, <laughs> it's better than others. Yeah, Dago's kind of fun. It's like a, like a Winnebago, but a Dago, you know. And okay. Wop is just without papers. It was an insult my grandma used against my grandpa one time. Um, <laughs> you know, Italian fights, you know. <laughs> you yeah, go, Italian you go for the jugular. <laughs> there you go. Colton's got his hands up in, in natural Italian form, too. Uh, so speaking of Italians, speaking of Italians, Italians uh, we're talking about the gospel and prayer. <laughs> That's what we're doing today. Italians pray. Yeah, um, they do. So the gospel and prayer is the only way to fight racism. We need to bring our nation back to God. This back is a common thing I've heard, Ryan. I yeah. know you've heard this, but when you hear when we're talking about race issues or we're talking about things happening in America that seem race related, and someone says, "Oh yeah." But really, at the end of the day, the gospel and prayer is the only way to fight racism. We need to bring our nation back to God. I literally had a few DMs uh, f- about this the other day. So, what when you hear that? Maybe it's not in your DMs. Uh, what what is it kind of? How does it hit you? What do you feel like, dude? Okay, so people come at you with the gospel and prayer is the only way to fight racism. One, I get pretty frustrated really fast because the number one thing outside of basically porn addiction and not reading the Bible that people confess to me is I don't pray. In the church, no one's praying. And they don't share their faith. And they don't share their faith. (laughs) Like when we're talking about sharing the gospel, I'm having as a pastor in 2020, there's a lot of gospel illiteracy right now. And and people don't really know how to articulate the gospel. (laughs) When I'm asking, I'm like, they're like, oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And I'm like, no, no, like. Like, what is Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and all of that, his ascension, and, and the, the gospel story, and, and then within that, the wider context of the Bible, one of the things I hear all the time, or one of the things that I've heard and, and I say all the time to students is, uh, the gospel without the story doesn't make sense, and the story without the gospel is incomplete. But people don't even know how to articulate that, and so in white church, when this happens, I get really frustrated, because at the very like fundamental like wording of it no one's praying in practice <laughs> and then and no one knows what the gospel is and so then when we need to bring our nation back to god when i see that i'm going dude we're not israel and and the gospel went out to all the nations america's <laughs> not the nation part of the great commission is uh, all nations one nation under God. Under, under God. Indivisible. Indivisible. <laughs> <laughs> liberty and justice for all. For white people. Uh, for, for all. 
Yes. I didn't even think about that when we were playing this episode that I was thinking of like, oh, yeah, what other ways can you fight racism in the gospel of prayer? And I didn't even think of like, wait, if those are your two main tools, no one's doing them. No one's doing them, man. <laughs> so you're not even fighting you're it. You're not even fighting You're not even fighting it with your two tools you I'm got. I'm not even trying to be cynical, guys. Like, I'm a functional, right now, practicing pastor, and those two things <laughs> are consistently confessed to me praying. that no one's doing or praying. <laughs> we're not talking about the gospel because we don't know how to talk about it. And grace to you. We're learning. We learn together. I'm not accusing you, Red Mountain, and I'm not accusing I'm pretty sure the grace church. to you is John MacArthur's uh, yeah. organization. But so. also, that's just what Christians have said before John MacArthur's <laughs> organization. He coined so it. He did it, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. That's what I would say to that, Colton. That's a helpful intro. Sorry if, you know, cynicism and giggling isn't good enough for you guys, but that's what we got right now. Yeah. Um, we're going to build a lot of stuff here. Uh, we're not right. going to be a classic podcast of just – Talking crap and slinging dirt. Yeah, man. Um, but Remember, we're practitioners here. Yeah, sometimes you got to like throw away some of the crap to replace it with some good pizza. You know, you can't. Good pizza. If you have little Caesars your whole life, come on. You're not going to know how good it is to have I a prime. Right now as a youth pastor. <laughs> a prime <laughs> Palermo pizza. Oh, you guys hear that, that like elongated E yeah. there? I bet more than half of you guys can That's pronounce right. that E. You can't speak Italian like I can. I took Duolingo. So, anyway. When I think about, like, we need to bring our nation back to God, I mean, I used to think of, like, back in the day, I'm like, ah, what era would I want to live in? This is a fun question us white people ask each other sometimes. Like, what era I've in America? That's this question. <laughs> it's white people. going to die. <laughs> right. What era would you live in right, right now? now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we ask each other, what era would you want to live in? Uh, and I always thought, like, when I was a teenager, I'm like, man, being, like, a teenager in the 50s would be so dope. Like, you got, like, Elvis Presley, Italian guy. Okay, You okay. got, like, diners. You got old-fashioned cars. Yep. You got— Milkshakes were in, like, the silver cups, Milkshakes. Right? Uh, skater, uh, like, attendant people. Yeah, at yeah, the, yeah, Like, yeah. Sonic, but actually cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, where they could um, skate, actually. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. So that's what I always thought. I'm like, man, wouldn't it be awesome to get back to those times? Like, just being in the 50s when— you know, things were more simple than now they are before the Vietnam War, before all these other things. Like, well, it would just be so much simple. Word. And then, as I've, like, reflected back on that, I actually dressed up uh, in Halloween as a greaser one time. But as I reflected back on that, I'm like, wait, in the 50s, Emmett Till was being lynched. Yeah. Um, and, and in the 50s, it was not too long ago where the Japanese Americans were just getting out of internment camps and coming home to find out their homes and possessions were all gone. So or vaporized. Yeah, I guess it still would be nice to be a white person in the fifties. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't be an era maybe everyone would want to go back to. Anyway, I concur. That's that's some personal story with like, yeah, we do need to bring our nation back to when it was the fifties. That's fun, right? <sighs> anyway, oh, okay. Oh, so man. let's talk about changing hearts. Because when someone says we need to change, fight yeah, racism by talk about the this. gospel and prayer, and that what they're really saying is like we need to change hearts. We're going to talk more about relational the relational aspect of this in a different episode of people basically saying the only way to solve racism is by me hugging a black guy, basically. Yeah. I'm in a black guy hugging me back. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about that more in a different episode. But in this one, it's very specifically like the gospel and prayer are the only way to fight racism. And we need to bring our nation back to God. The reason there's so much racism is because we stopped praying in schools. So how does that hit you, Ryan? And why is that maybe an incomplete vision? Or maybe it's just a little off or yeah. we're using the right words but even the wrong meaning yeah i don't think there's any way to fight racism without the gospel in prayer but i don't think the gospel in prayer is the only way to fight racism and so i think what's going on there is there's this implicit idea that um people will just again figure it out 
uh, and and that we don't really have to engage or sacrifice in the very human, political, or or uh, economic scale to affect change for people. And and again, that's coming from uh, being in a place that typically has the cultural normativity and the cultural power to set who matters and who doesn't in the society. And so I get frustrated um, by that response if it's not including tangible embodied practices to help people actually move on. One of the cool things about, um, hopefully I don't get in trouble for this, uh, but one of the cool ways that one of the elders here at Red Mountain reached out to me in the wake of all of the hardship with in, in the conversation about race in America and systemic injustice and all these things is is that he he offered um, for me to uh, take a little bit off my rent per month. Uh, he owns the home that I'm renting from him, and he's like, hey, uh, Ryan, me and my wife have been praying, and we know that we're praying for you. We know that you're doing good ministry. I know that this conversation's happening. We want to make one more step, and we're going to uh, say this is what you're going to pay for rent for month now or per month now and not only did he just say uh this is what you're paying but he even asked like is that okay does that offend you or sit well with you for us to sacrifice in that way i was ecstatic i was super grateful and i think that's a really complete picture of you have a, a white church for this elder is partic- in particular is white uh praying living out the gospel articulating it in his workplace and in his church and actually looking at people that have been affected and saying, hey, here's a way I can sacrifice for you also with tangible uh, resources. And and to me, that's more of what we need to get after, not so much just the I'm going to say words and not do anything. Well, Ryan, that kind of sounds like reparations, and oh, I'm against that. That's, so. a, that's a rough <laughs> word. I'm sure you're against it, man. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna have a whole episode on reparations yeah. and uh, affirmative action, so stay tuned. But let's talk about this slogan, bringing our nation – back to God. Um, it kind of sounds a little bit like make America great again, but we won't hit that one. Let's right. just focus on bringing our nation back to God because that's explicitly God. Christian. Yes. Uh, make America great again is more of a political thing. Bringing our nation back to God, that's more explicitly Christian. So I just want to ask a few questions, Ryan, if you would yeah. let me ask a few questions. Yeah, let's do it. Um, to the audience listening, when was our nation truly with God? <laughs> uh, was it when we were enslaving black men and women? Uh, was it when we condoned the rape and torture of black people? Was it when we largely killed off most of the native peoples of this land by war, famine, and disease? Was it when slavery ended and we started Jim Crow and sharecropping? Was it when we instantly killed 80,000 people in Japan with our bombs? When was it? Was it? <laughs> yeah, I think your best shot is post-60s America. Yeah. And then that's the one we're living in. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where we are right now. And that was like the love era too, which it was like, forget God, dude. Let's just. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Woodstock, baby. Uh, yeah, Colton. This question, I always get pushed back for this because the founding fathers were brilliant in the chess piece mm-hmm. that they made out of this nation. They, they had enough history and enough education. These guys were not poor. This was not some like ragtag revolutionary. These dudes were educated, had cash, came over to get more cash. Like that's <laughs> what's happening. And so when they founded these documents – they use the Judeo-Christian ethic because for the Western world, that was the normative ethic. Mm-hmm. And so when people tell me we need to be a Christian nation, that actually doesn't make any sense. And I don't think America ever really was because the only Christian nation is the kingdom of God if we're talking about political nations. 
And and the gospel is a very political statement. You're denouncing rulers and authorities of the earth and rulers and authorities that are seen and unseen to say, I'm actually a citizen of this other kingdom mm-hmm. that is both breaking through and will come and restore all things. And so when people tell me that, I'm going, you actually have a fundamentally different idea of what Christian nation means. Uh, so that's that's yeah. where I go. Well, when Jesus is Lord, it means Caesar is not. When Jesus right. is Lord, it means America is America not. America is not. When Jesus is Lord, it means Obama is not, not Lord. Yeah. Um, so Which a lot of people would say, <laughs> yeah, that's the truest thing out of all of these statements <laughs> is that Obama's not Lord and he made us less Christian. He's the Antichrist. I had some friends that started yeah. stocking up flour because they thought the end of the world was coming. Yeah. Um, it's church, but Antichrist for sure. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, this isn't. America is obviously a very powerful nation. Yeah. Very economically strong. It hasn't done a lot of good in the world. Right. Um, and it has done some good things. It's not, we're not here to say anything bad about America. It's just, hey, when we say bring the nation back to God, have you ever said that to a black person? Because when in the history of America, po- like pre 1960s, would they want to go back to that time when God was more in control? If God is less in control now and was more in control then, what does that say about our God to yeah. black people? Yeah, if God's more in control when I'm more controlled, then that's a problem. Yeah. Like, oh, Ryan's got chains on. That's the time when God was more in control and we were really Christian. Yeah. And all chains are gone. And we can link some books that might give you a little bit more of a yep. accurate history than some of our textbooks. Um, not that our textbooks are inherently spreading lies or wrong. It's just yeah, it's a little incomplete. Yeah, they're incomplete or they just give too short a version. Sometimes MLK gets a paragraph. Sometimes the Jim Crow era gets a paragraph when it's yeah. just maybe we need to flesh it out a little bit more. Right. But one thing when we talk about our forefathers, because this is a big one where it's like, yeah. but at least the intention of the forefathers was for all men are created equal. Mm-hmm. So we need to bring our nation back to that idea where we're all created equal. The problem is, and this is something we do in biblical studies, since both of us have biblical degrees, authorial intent matters just as much as the words. Um, so words. Whoa, can whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> so when they say all men are created equal, yeah. what is the authorial intent there? How did they live that out? What was their actions and policies? Mm-hmm. What did they do? Well, I think it's a pretty clear cut that all men meant all white men are created equal Correct. and have the right to property and happiness and the like. And so, again, that line is beautiful. All men are created equal. That sounds very biblical, but that can mean different things depending on the context. So we just need to be honest and saying, hey, they gave us a good slogan that we can actually apply now in a really positive yeah, Christian way. Yeah, we can way. actually do it. We can actually make that slogan Christian now when before I don't think it was. No. And so that's one of those things like when you even think of like, you know, one nation under God and God we trust. A lot of this stuff was added in the 1950s. Um, this wasn't always in our history with this. All this kind of God language and the Pledge of Allegiance and different things wasn't added in official until like hundreds of years after the start. So, again, when you say when we want to bring our nation back to God, if anything, right now is the most godlike nation we've ever been. And it, most of you probably would say it's not even that godlike. Right. And I would agree. <laughs> I would agree, too. So it's just it's extremely tone deaf and white. And I know that hurts to say the white part to say we need to bring our nation back to God. Let's make America great again. Not because we're saying America never did any good. But because in order to go back, it means people have to actually regress outside of white people rather than actually progress. We, it's not better for out other Americans other than white Americans when we go backwards. Correct. Um, so let's talk about the Bible then. Okay. Because um, we want to talk about that. Oftentimes we have, you know, us, 
you should see my DMs. Um, for sure, for sure. I get accused of, of preaching a social gospel, um, a gospel right. that's not truly the gospel, but it's actually something yeah. that's been convoluted. I um, mean, this is normally just code name for liberal and unbiblical, which is funny because that's like the two worst insults you could give someone in the Christian world is liberal and unbiblical. Um, Somehow those are the worst insults. <laughs> uh, which is okay. I mean, but the question then is, is, is this idea of this individual gospel that a lot of white evangelicals believe of Jesus died for my sins to make him my personal Lord and Savior, and it's about getting me out of this earth and into heaven. It's a rescue mission of God rescuing me in this magic ship uh, and taking me to heaven away from all this evil injustice and the world's just bad. Is that actually a wrong gospel? Maybe an incomplete gospel? Maybe too small of a gospel? What do you think about that? Because when, when, when I know when we hear the gospel and prayer will fight racism. And in a sense, the whole reason we're doing this podcast and fighting racism is because of the gospel. Right. But it seems like we're meaning two different things by what we mean by gospel because that's almost a way to dismiss actual fighting. And us, the gospel is actually the very means of why we're fighting. Yeah. So why, why is that, Ryan? Yeah, one of the coolest quotes I've ever read was from N.T. Wright. And he said something, and we get our tradition from the reformers, right? A lot of us do, like John Calvin, uh, Zwingli, Luther, uh, a lot of that tradition, Augustine. And N.T. Wright says what the Reformers got right was why Jesus died. But the question that they left for us that they couldn't answer was, well, why did Jesus live? Why did Jesus live? And if you look at what Jesus' mission statement is in Luke, which is typically from the black church and in my own heart, and I didn't even realize this. I just intuit, I instinctively knew. is In Luke, you see Luke painting Jesus' whole crusade as this flipping of the kingdom, this upside-down kingdom, but take that a step further rather than just a cheeky youth ministry statement of living upside-down kingdom and actually speaking to and, and, and speaking against the powers that be and the, and the systems of this world because Jesus came to set the captive free, to bind up the brokenhearted, um, to let the blind see and have sight. And then he rolled up the scroll because... The rest of that line from Isaiah 41, I believe, was supposed to talk about how the Gentiles and all the other nations were going to get crushed by God. But Jesus, but Jesus didn't actually say that part. He just stopped the scroll and sat down, and that enraged his own people. And why I'm saying this is because Jesus' very real liberation of human beings has a lot to do with what's presently going on in our bodies, what's presently going on in the, the um, actual day-to-day workings of our nations and our laws and our systems. And only Jesus can bring the real healing system. But that doesn't mean that Christians just get to not participate because if we imitate Christ in his very brown Middle Eastern body, then that means that we actually have to use our bodies and our actual resources like my elder that I'm living <coughs> under his roof for, not like in his house, but he owns the home. And actually sacrifice and, and step in and love people that are at a disadvantage. And so when people just say we have to pray and, and have the gospel figured out, what you're saying is I'm just going to do the least amount that I can <laughs> because I believe all that matters is dying and going to heaven and mm-hmm. nothing else. And that is nowhere to be found in the first century texts. That's nowhere to be found in Jewish worldview even that's nowhere to be found in the early church, and that's nowhere to be found in an actual gospel and an actual narrative of the Bible that has heaven and earth combined at the end. I know that sounds like a broken record, but that's the only thing I can say to that. 
Well, I think it's a it's almost a fundamental misunderstanding of the Great Commission. The Great Commission is this isolated Matthew twenty eight thing mm-hmm. where Jesus all of a sudden just gives it's like these marching orders. Yeah. And that's it. But when we remove the Great Commission from the rest of the text and the rest of the meta narrative, we actually miss it. We we've taken the gospel and started the gospel of Genesis three and not Genesis one. We start in Genesis three with gloom, sin, bad, evil. Yeah. And what do we end it with? Gloom judgment, hell, badness, avoid it. So the whole way, you're just trying to avoid the bad and get into the good. But if we actually start our Bibles in Genesis 1, where it's this beautiful garden and dominion Mm -hmm. over the world, and we actually end it in Revelation 21, where it's a garden again, and now dominion on earth, but a new earth, we actually see that the gospel is painting this beautiful portrayal of we bring heaven to earth. This is literally the Lord's prayer. May your will be done on earth as it is on heaven. (laughs) (laughs) On heaven conference. That's for you, Trent. Um... So it, it's one of those things where it's like the gospel is sufficient to fight racism. Prayer is sufficient to fight racism. Yes. But your gospel and prayer is so individualistic and so meaningless that it can't. With Christians, I mean, Ryan talked about this in the first century. And, and as it went on, even getting to the, the Middle Ages, Christians were the ones that were going into cities of the plague, forfeiting their rights, their lives, their privileges, their needs, their wants to save other people or be with them while they're dying. Right. The gospel compelled them to forsake not only their individual rights, their educational rights, their national rights, mm-hmm. their their whole way of being for the sake of the other. The gospel is the whole reason we fight abortion. The gospel is the whole reason we fight racism. So if you think somehow that it brings you comfort and le- leaves less of an obligation that you just need to save souls, then you have missed the gospel fundamentally because you haven't even read the text all you've read is matthew 28 and have sprinkled some evangelism passages into it mm-hmm. if you actually look at the meta narrative of scripture the whole thing's about liberation and freedom and dominion on earth mm-hmm. as it is in heaven it's not our final destination if you don't know this our final destination is not, not heaven being in the clouds we're not going to heaven we might be there temporarily but our final destination is a new earth an earth without racism and the whole point now is to eradicate it until jesus comes back and fully eradicates it so to say that somehow we shouldn't change laws, we shouldn't go to heal up, we shouldn't re- give reduced rent, we shouldn't do these things systemically, practically, functionally, governmentally, whatever. Or even ask for forgiveness, which is the whole <laughs> gospel is getting forgiven. I think we just miss it. Because I I mean, me and Ryan, we're fundamental believers that, yeah, the gospel is the best way to fight racism. Yep. But the gospel has something to say about our laws. The gospel has something yep. to say about our lives and our actions yep. and our money and our wealth. And so to reduce it to just this kind of little flimsy, I just need to talk to a black person and get them saved because I can't maybe free them from their chains, but at least I can save them from hell, is so fundamentally wrong that you have missed the gospel. And so, again, this is not to say that you are not a believer. This is not to say that you have now missed the one-way ticket to heaven because one, there is no one-way ticket to heaven. It's going to new earth. But it's more to evaluate, have I actually reduced my gospel too small in general? Or maybe it's not that you've reduced your gospel too small in general, but you just reduce it when it comes to race. Because you use the gospel to fight abortion. You use the gospel to fight homelessness. You use the gospel to go on mission trips to uh, alleviate uh, poverty. Yeah, poverty and undrinkable water. Yeah. So why is it a gospel work to go build wells in places where they don't have clean water, but it's not a gospel work to get black men out of prison who are unwrong- or wrongfully there? Ooh. So that's it's one of those things. Some of you, it might be your gospel's just not big enough for racism. Other you, it's just your gospel's not big enough at all. And I just challenge you to kind of sit with that. But that's all I got, Ryan. I don't know if you have anything else about the gospel. 
but yeah, man, you guys need to get in your churches and actually read the gospels. I mean, me and Marian have to read them ourselves because there's so many aspects of our lives personally yep. and economically. We live in the wealthiest nation in the world and we just bat an eye at the yeah. homeless on our streets. We do. So this is not a preaching at you. It's a preaching to us, us, the white church. Ryan's a part of it. I'm a part of it. We're a part of it. We need to be better because Jesus is so much better. Um, that's the whole point of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, Ryan, um, what did, where do we even start this thing? What did you ask me at the beginning? <laughs> Dude, I don't even remember. <laughs> so that's okay. Yeah, well, we out here. Yeah, well, we really out here, fam. We're going to hit on some more issues. Thank you for listening this time, um, and we'll catch you on the next one.